Oh, Lord, we thank you that this is true. We thank you for an ordinary man, Stephen, whom you filled with your spirit and raised up to testify to your grace. And he did not shrink back from the task before him, but he loved his persecutors enough to tell them the truth, and he loved them enough to forgive them even as they were killing him, and to bless them. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would put of the same spirit in us in abundant measure, that we might desire good for not just our friends, but for our enemies. You would give us the spirit of forgiveness and, and that you would give us of the Holy Spirit who not only forgave us, but who blessed us. Lord, you not only forgave our sins, but you blessed us and you gave us yourself and you gave us the church, each other, and you gave us all the earth for the whole world belongs to Christ and his people. And this is a mystery when we are suffering. And yet, it is true. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, today, we're going to start with Stephen's speech that Stephen Leopold uh, spoke on last week. We're going to have three weeks on Stephen's speech. This is part one. Acts chapters, the end of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7, and then we'll get into the persecution of the church that broke out, uh, that breaks out in chapter 8, uh, that spread throughout the whole country, and many Christians were imprisoned and killed, and we're going to talk about that. All things work together for good for those that love the Lord, and we're going to see what God was doing. But today, part one, the gospel is blessing your enemies. Amen? Amen. Okay, so Stephen was a righteous man. He was filled with the Spirit. He was something like a deacon in the church. Um, he was appointed to help make sure uh, the, the Greek widows weren't neglected in the daily distribution of food along with six other people who were well-known for their character and for, being, and for being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he was an ordinary guy, kind of a, a young volunteer leader in the church, right? Probably young. I don't know if he was young. And with full, filled with grace and power, he was doing great ones, wonders and signs among the people. And people stood up and contended with him, but they couldn't, understand, they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking because he was speaking by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided his mind and his speech in proclaiming the gospel and in testifying to the glory of Christ and the grace of Christ that is only for sinners. And they couldn't withstand the power in his speech because it was supernatural. It wasn't just somebody that they were arguing with in a debate. And so I think somebody became jealous. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They came upon him. They grab him. They drag him before the council. They set up false witnesses who make two accusations against him. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. That's the temple, right? And the law. So that's, think, the Bible. Right? So they're claiming that this guy is uh, saying bad things about their place of their house of worship 
and bad things about the Bible. They're talking about the book of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. But just think, they're claiming that this guy is anti-Bible and anti-church, right? These are the accusations. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What does that remind you of? Moses. So they're accusing him of being against the scripture that the Holy Spirit through Moses wrote down, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Remember when Moses came out from the presence of the Lord after the Lord had finished speaking with him and his face glowed and everybody freaked out and they're like, uh, you know, can you like put on a veil? And so he did. So he put on a veil. It's like they didn't want to see the glory of the Lord. Doesn't this just remind you of that? And they're accusing him of being anti-Moses, anti-scripture that was written through Moses by the Holy Spirit. A great irony here. And the high priest said, are these things so? Are you anti-Moses or anti-scripture? Are you anti-temple? Think anti-our house of worship. For the sake of time, we have to skip uh, some verses, 30. Three and a half of them. So we're going to cut to verse 35. Um, please read the chapter on your own and consider his argument because he builds a careful historical argument discussing God's interaction with his people. Or we might say, we might say the people God had called to call near to him and yet who were unwilling to come, right? the people of Israel. And so the, people of I the history of the people of Israel is a lot like our lives, stubborn, rebellious, and yet God persists in pursuing his people, right? And so they're accusing him of being anti-Moses and anti-temple. And he said, and Stephen said, verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush, in the burning bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Who's that? Jesus is the prophet, right? So Moses prophesied Jesus, and Stephen's preaching Jesus, and they're like, you're against Moses, and you're against the temple, False, falsely. And Stephen's taking them somewhere in his rebuttal. This man led them out, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. That means he received the word of God, which is living and active and cuts to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. Remember the golden calf? As soon as Moses went up on the mountain, immediately they're like, Aaron, you know, guy who's supposed to be the high priest, Moses' brother. We don't know what happened to Moses. 
he was up receiving the law of God on the mountain. And as soon as he went up, they immediately asked him to fashion them an idol. So they all gave him their gold earrings and such. And, and Moses' excuse was, well, yeah, Moses, when Moses came down and was like, what are you doing? And everybody's just having this wild, this wild thing, worshiping the golden calf. Aaron had said, these are the gods that brought you up out of Egypt, this idol, this metal thing. Pretty bizarre. Not, not very intelligent, right? And Moses, Aaron's excuse is, well, you know, they gave me the gold and I threw it in the furnace and out came this calf, you know? So they didn't follow Moses and the first high priest wasn't doing a very good job. And here the council is accusing Stephen of being anti-Moses and anti-temple. And he says, Our fathers refused to obey Moses, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, verse 40, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not, not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. That's like sun and moon and stars and stuff. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan. Um, I don't know if I want to recommend to you that you go Google Moloch and Rephan um, but it's pretty disturbing. Like, there's some pretty violent, like, like it's, it's really sick. The ceremonies of worshiping these, uh, these idols are very disturbing. Um, you know, it involves, like, murder of children, and, you know, like, it's, it's pretty bad. And that's what the Canaanites were being thrust out of the land for. Before Israel got into Canaan, they were already worshiping these deities, these, these idols, these false gods, right? These demonic religions. Verse 44, regarding the temple. So that's, so that's, so, so Stephen just said, look, for the whole history of our nation, nobody's followed what Moses said except a remnant, right? And he's about to say, are you following Moses? And now he turns to the temple. And he says, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. What's that? What's the tent of witness in the wilderness? Shout it out. The tabernacle, right? So it's the portable temple, right? And then they deconstructed that and they built a, a temple in Jerusalem, right? So they had, they had the temple, didn't they? They had the tabernacle. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet... The Most High does not live in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. 
Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, that means not devoted to the Lord. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's all the prophets in the Old Testament that prophesied the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, that prophesied Jesus' coming. If you look at what happened to the prophets, overwhelmingly, they get cast out of Jerusalem or, or murdered in Jerusalem, right? The righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Do you think they liked that? Do you think they were cut to the quick, like during Peter's message in Acts 2 and beyond? When Peter said that same thing to a similar crowd in the same city just weeks or months maybe before, the crowd was cut to the quick, and they cried out, brothers, what should we do? And he said, repent, that means stop doing the things you're doing, change your mind, and cry out to God for salvation from your sin. That means not just forgiveness, but the blessing of God that leads to empowerment to begin and to progressively overcome the sins in which you are living. But when the council heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Next week, we're going to look at what do we do when good people, when godly people are taken away. Stephen is about to be murdered. And the question, the question is, where is God? Why isn't God protecting him? And we'll answer that next week. And the answer to it is hidden right here. Where is God when Stephen is being, a godly man who's done nothing wrong, is being murdered? And Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Everybody go like this. I don't want to hear the preaching anymore. I'm done with this sermon, right? And they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. The witnesses had to take off their jackets so they could throw rocks. And they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, and this is, this is our main point in this passage today, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, get this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Hallelujah. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
So he started by telling them the whole gospel, which includes the history of how God gave his commandments to his people and how we did not keep them. A full gospel presentation includes that. What was his response to the two accusations? No, but you are guilty of both these things, right? Do you see how he loved them? When you read this, you might think, oh, Stephen's being like sarcastic and he is angry, he's heated. And he's like, you stiff-necked people, it's you, it's you. That's not what happened here. When you read this, think, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Can you see how he loved them? He loved them enough to tell them the truth. Love always tells the truth. It does not lie. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He loved them enough to tell them the truth about what they had done. They were filled with evil, and they were a murderous lot. And he didn't beat around the bush or pull punches. He told them he, he opened up the scriptures to them and helped them understand, you are deep in sin. You are caught, trapped, you're a slave to sin. And he said all that clearly and straightforward, not disrespectfully. At the start of his speech, he starts out, brothers and fathers, listen to me. That's not sarcastic. That's not mean-spirited. He's pretty clear, and he speaks strongly, but he's not mean-spirited, and he's not sarcastic. Stephen loves these people. He loved them enough to forgive them, to ask God to forgive them. And in doing this, he was asking God to give them the blessing, uh, to give them all the blessings that are in Christ. What does that remind you of? That immediately reminds me of the words of the Lord as he was crucified. Luke chapter 23. They crucified him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did Stephen say that? Nah. The council members knew exactly what they were doing. Stephen carefully and clearly revealed their sin for them, which was a loving thing to do. Because it, because it was their only chance. Our God is known for giving people second chances. Stephen said, Father, forgive them. He didn't say they don't know what they're doing because in this case, they did. Otherwise, they wouldn't have covered their ears while he talked with them. You see, they just didn't want to hear it. You see, their sin had now been revealed and now it was out in the open. They didn't deny it, they just murdered him. These people are fools, of course, but they're not dumb. They knew what they were doing, and Stephen prayed, Father, forgive them. He's hoping they become Christians, you see. He's hoping that they turn from their evil ways, that God relents of his fierce anger and the disaster that he had intended to do to them, just like in the days of Jonah. And he's hoping that they receive all the blessings of the children of God. 
So that's what's in Stephen's heart toward his accusers who are murdering him when it says, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When Stephen forgave them, he did not ignore their abuse or make excuses for their evil. But he loved them enough to tell them the truth about what they had done because it was their only chance for salvation from their sin. Forgiveness does not necessarily lead to reconciliation. But forgiveness does refrain from vengeance, from resentment. And biblical forgiveness leaves all vengeance to God. Forgiveness isn't pretending like the sin never happened. It recognizes sin, but it doesn't hold it against the person who sinned. And the gospel goes beyond forgiveness to blessing, wishing good for those who have harmed us. This kind of love is how we identify with Christ and how he identifies himself with us. In the gospel, we not only forgive our friend and enemy alike, but we pray for those who mistreat us. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. What happens if the sun don't rise? And you live in a culture where everybody eats bread every day for their meal, right? You have a garden, you have a field, you know, maybe you have some animals. If there's no sun, the crops don't grow, you don't eat, you die, right? He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What happens here if it doesn't rain? You use lotion or something because your skin dries out. What happens there if, if it doesn't rain? If it doesn't rain, there's a famine. All the crops die, nothing grows, nobody eats. If you're rich enough to get on a ship and sail to another country where the climate is better that year, you, you can get food. Or if you have a lot of money saved up. Said. <laughs> God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It doesn't matter if you deserve it. It doesn't matter if you're a good or an evil person. God makes the sun rise on you and he makes the rain fall on you. That's what's in the heart of God toward evil people. He blesses them. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? They're like the scum of society, right? And they do that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing? What more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke 23 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen.
Romans 5, 9, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. He's saying these things to us, to the church. We must forgive. If we do not forgive, all is lost. If I don't forgive, I am lost. If we are in Christ and because of him, we forgive our friends, we forgive our enemies. When we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. We not only forgive, but we bless. The gospel that has been handed down to us from the apostles is that 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, whether against your brother, your sister, or your enemy. Today, his voice says to us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pray. Join with me. Lord, we bless those who have sinned against us. And we say with your servant Stephen, Lord, do not hold any sin against them. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim forgiveness for all who have harmed us, past and present. We ask, Lord, that as you have blessed us, you would now bless them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.